Okay, we're going to start this morning um, praying a prayer of lament for our Palestinian brothers and sisters. After that, I'm going to share a little bit personally about my internal journey um, as a Jewish person since October 7th, hoping to understand in the end a little bit better Jesus' invitation to us to be born again. So we'll start with a lament. Um, I would invite anyone who would like to stand um, as we read the lament. God of all people, we grieve the loss of Palestinian lives. We grieve the destruction of humans made in your image. We grieve the bombing of refugee camps, mosques, hospitals, neighborhoods, and homes. We grieve for Palestinians who are cut off from food supplies, shelter, and their families and friends. We grieve for those who have nowhere to turn. We grieve for the diminished safety of Palestinian Americans in the US and of those Palestinian descent around the world. God, you love the Palestinian people. They are also your people. You call humans to the path of kinship instead of domination. You entrust us to each other. We pray for those who feel abandoned in Gaza. We pray for those who are doing love's work in Gaza. Holy Spirit, our words fail us. Help us, O oh God, to do love's work. Amen. You may be seated. As most of you know, I grew up in a kosher-keeping, Hebrew school-attending, locks and bagels on Sunday morning Jew. And while Jews make up only 2.4% of Americans, they made up a large percentage of my neighbors, everyone I knew went to synagogue on the high holidays, lit candles on the Sabbath, and spun dreidels on Hanukkah. I was 20 years old, going to school in Tempe, Arizona, when I read for the first time that Jimmy Carter was a born-again Christian. I had never heard that expression before, born again. It sounded redundant <laughs> and weird. Honestly, my first thought was that it sounded like a refried bean, which I also didn't understand why beans would have to be twice fried, as there were also no Mexican restaurants in Skokie when I was growing up. Some years later, I would encounter Jesus, and I would read John's words with delight. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Who knew? Me and Jimmy Carter. For many years, I understood the spiritual awakening 
being born again in the most abstract way. I was passionately confessing Jesus with word and deed and in some metaphysical way seeing the kingdom of God. It would take me many, many years to realize the depth and breadth and agony of Jesus' message. Over time, I would understand being born again as an ongoing invitation in our lives. This morning, as I share a little bit personally, I'm going to share why and how I am being born again, again. As you listen, I'd invite you to be curious about my story, but maybe more so curious about where you are invited to see something or understand something or be something or someone in a whole new way. So Jesus, in John 3, sorry, begins this way. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who's come from God. For no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. How can someone be born again when they're old, Nicodemus asked. Surely you can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asks. Jesus goes on for a while, and he talks about water and spirit and flesh and wind and God sending God's only Son, and then ends with this. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So there's a clue or primer for us to understand being born. Again, it has something to do with our capacity to see truth, that for whatever reasons we have kept hidden from others or from ourselves. On October 7th, as you all know, Hamas brutally and violently attacked Israel, killing about 1,200 Israelis and taking 240 hostages. Since then, Israel has been waging war against Hamas, resulting in around 15,000 Palestinian deaths, 
many of which are women and children with all its horrific destruction and indescribable suffering. At Sanctuary, we've come out with a statement that you can glance at, but if you want to um, read, we have it on our webpage. Essentially, we want peace and freedom and nothing short of real liberation for our Palestinian brothers and sisters and safety and flourishing for Jewish people and for Palestinians alike. For me, this has been a bit of a Nicodemus moment. My grandparents escaped the pogroms in Russia, emigrating to America. Those friends and relatives that didn't escape were killed. My parents lived with anti-Semitism in our country as well as being glued to the radio every day during the Second World War. I was raised knowing that being Jewish is precarious. It was a leaf that could fall off a tree at any moment. I understood that no country would take the Jews or wanted the Jews, which ultimately led to a mass slaughter and then what some would call the birth of a nation. But as you and I know so well, settling in a country that's already occupied is tricky business. I don't remember every sermon that was preached when I was a child in the synagogue, but what I remember was support Israel, the most important mitzvah or blessing that we could do, the best thing in life was to support Israel. In the 60s and the 70s, when there were Israeli-Palestinian conflicts, all we cared about was that Israel won. It was as though there was Israel and Israel's enemy, nameless and faceless. And no matter what, without question or doubt, I was Team Israel. I was a child and it was what I understood. It's been many years now that I've understood things differently, that I have balked against any kind of tribalism, that I've understood how easily the oppressed can become oppressors. Many years now that I've believed that God's love is for all people, and that until everyone is free, including every last Jewish person and every last Palestinian person, that no one, none of us are free. It's been years now that I join with many who critique Israel's increasingly right government and its brutal and unjust treatment of Palestinian peoples. And yet, with the horrors of October 7th and the 
subsequent unconscionable brutality, I have felt messed up and sometimes I have used the word shattered. I've messed up in the way that all of us are messed up in the way that we're shattered by violence in the Ukraine and Russia and anywhere else, messed up by the ongoing violence that humans are bent on perpetuating. I would hope many of us are messed up, challenged by the pain that we cause our brothers and sisters. But along with being messed up, I knew something else was going on. Something I didn't get right away, but I experienced in my body. I don't know if you've ever had something happening, coming to the forefront of your mind, but you can't quite articulate it into words or sentences, but you can feel it. As the Middle East conflict continued, I'd say to Tom, something's shattering inside me. I don't fully understand. And what emerged was challenging for me. For the first time, I could see how myopic my vision was growing up. Of course, I was too young to understand the historic complexities that are Israel and Palestine. But in addition to that, I think there is a young part of me that just wants to be Team Israel. It's not intellectual. Intellectually, I am team human. I'm team love. I'm team we are all created in the image of God, and we want to live in a just world where all peoples can thrive. And it's not exactly emotional, because when I read or listen to reports of Palestinian suffering, my heart breaks in a thousand pieces. But I've realized that deep down, there is still a five-year-old child whose mom is telling her, the world is unsafe for Jewish people, honey. Which translates into some pre-conscious way as, go Israel, in a way that surprises me. I didn't know those parts were still inside me. The Apostle Paul was on a mission from God when a light shone around him, right? He was on a mission to roust up all the Jewish people who had put their faith in Jesus so that could be imprisoned. Scripture says he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. Jesus is telling Paul, this mission you're on, this mission that you believe in, this purpose that you've given your life to, it's wrong-headed. It's poison. It's bad. Paul gets off the ground and he realizes, I'm blind. He can't see and his physical reality is matching his spiritual state. Later in the story, Paul comes to understand what God says, what God is saying in Scripture says, scales fell from his eyes. Like Jesus said to Nicodemus, coming out of darkness into the light. 
the older we get, the more we realize that this or that thing that we believed, clung to, held onto as gospel might not be the case. And this awakening rarely happens in us without a good fight. Martin Luther King grew up with some privilege on Sweet Auburn Street, a relatively well-to-do street in Atlanta. I'm reading a book called King a Life that just came out this year and is just an amazing book. New files have been released in the last couple of years, um, and, it, and it's just a lovely book. But he tells a story. His dad was the pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church, Baptist Church in Atlanta, which gave Daddy King a kind of kingly status and MLK a princely status. And one of King's best friends when he was growing up um, as a young boy was a little white boy who was the son of a white business owner. And uh, somewhere in grade school, the little white boy said to Martin Luther King, we can't play together. You can't be my best friend anymore. We can't be friends anymore. And uh, Martin Luther King says that he said to the little boy, is it because we go to different schools? Because of course they went to different schools. And the boy said, no, it's not because we go to different schools, it's because of the color of your skin. So MLK went home, and at the dinner table he asked mom and dad, what is he talking about? And this is what he said as he told this incident for the rest of his life. For the first time, I was made aware of the existence of a race problem. I'd never been conscious of it before, a 10-year-old boy being born again. The scales fell from his eyes. So just a few thoughts about all this. Number one, Nicodemus invites us all to commit to being born again, again. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night because he was freaked out. Understandably, the stakes were high, but he came because something was niggling at him, some aspect of all the certainty he inhabited, all the beliefs he held forever. Something was bugging him. Something didn't set right. And so he did something, even in the relative safety of darkness. He engaged Jesus in conversation. He let himself be open to the universe in a way he hadn't before. It served me not seeing the Palestinians as real. It served me not knowing their stories. It served me focusing all my young energy on Team Israel. Life was uncomplicated. I didn't have to critique my own people, those who suffered enough in my estimation. I didn't have to question what I was being told by my religious leaders and my parents who loved me more than life itself. 
It served me because I had the illusion of knowing what was right and good and true. But it also kept me from fully inhabiting the kingdom of God. Number two, don't resist the shattering if it should come. Even though this current Israel-Palestinian conflict came many years into my wanting liberation and justice for Palestinians, the whole conflict for me, conflict for me has been another layer of shattering. When I hear people say, I'm pro-Palestinian, I hear I'm anti-Jew. Even though I too am pro-Palestinian liberation and flourishing. I told some friends that I felt like the war was being waged inside me, and I think there was some truth to that. My five-year-old part, borrowing language from internal family systems, which is a popular new therapy modality, but my five-year-old part is saying, I'm scared. Protect the Jews. My adult parts are saying, oh, honey, it's not that simple. And I think lots of other parts are chiming in. Going through a process of transformation like this is a gift, but it's costly and takes lots of work. <laughs> I thought that would lighten the moment a little bit. Finally, number three, don't suffer alone. Nicodemus didn't just get lost in his thoughts, like, what's going on? Could Jesus really be saying something that makes sense? Am I missing something? What if there's something to this whole Jesus thing? He went and he talked to Jesus. Like, we don't know his whole story. I would hope he found some safe uh, family members and some safe friends to talk about this. What, that might have been hard, all things considered. But I have talked ad nauseum. I have talked and talked and talked and talked. Ask Tom. I've talked to some of you. I've talked to my sister and to my brother. I've talked to good friends who aren't part of this community. I've talked to pastor friends, to rabbis, to my spiritual director. I've described my own internal messiness even before I could make much meaning. When I was just saying, I feel upset. I, I don't know why I'm having the reactions I'm having. I can't make meaning, I can't make sense of what's happening inside me. I shared believing that it's helpful to share and that good things come as we attempt to articulate what's swirling inside of us. Even if occasionally someone says something that maybe misses the point or tries to fix us or leaves us feeling unseen or more alone. But the truth is, mostly, I've been met with grace, with people who say things like, 80, that sounds really hard, or I get this whole thing is so complex and layered and that your heart is breaking. Or, wait, I don't exactly get what you're saying, but can you say more and help me to get it? I want to. Or, my heart has been breaking too. Thanks for sharing yours. 
and giving me space to do the same. The beauty of community is that we don't have to go through things in life alone, even as we are in the process of being born again, again. I'll close by saying that the war is awful and brutal. I'm on my knees daily praying for some kind of equitable resolution. But my inner world feels more peaceful. I think my scared five-year-old self understands that she, I, am no longer five, that would be 61 years ago, but who's counting? <laughs> and I think all my sharing and processing has been quite healing. I'll end with this lovely poem. It comes from a book called Poems from Palestine. It's from Hossam Maruf. It was written in 2021. And it's called Hands of War. We hold war's hand, not so that it walks among us, but it is death, a bit tardy. We cajole it. We hold war's hand, convinced that this is the last time it waves catastrophe to us, since the road is a futile wall and the country is searching for a photograph of collective sorrow. Amen.